Welcome to What's Happening in Harm Reduction, news and information affecting public health. Here's Mark Spahn. Welcome to part two of our discussion about supervised injection facilities, or SIFs. In our first podcast, you heard about programs in Vancouver, Canada, Frankfurt, Germany, and in Australia. Dr. Marianne Johnsey is the medical director of the Sydney, Australia Medically Supervised Injecting Center. This was the first supervised injecting service in the English-speaking world. I asked Dr. Johnsey about the drug problem in Australia. The drug problem in Australia as I'm sure in many countries and in many cities, has changed over time. When we first opened, the drug problem was really about heroin and it was really about people dying. That was part of the national conversation and the discourse and it was being played out in media headlines and on breakfast tables and conversations um, in people's homes. That's changed. So over time we've seen a reduction in the amount of heroin and an increase in prescription opiates. So the same class of drugs still kills people in overdose by the same way, but coming from ultimately from doctors' prescription tablets. And obviously that's something that's happened in the US very much and we were a few years behind, but we followed that trend. More recently, we've certainly seen much headlines and interest in, in ice or crystal methamphetamine use in Australia, which is an issue in that the people that are using it are using more frequently and running into more trouble from using more potent forms, but in fact is not the epidemic that is touted in the media. Still only about 2% of the population report recent use, but there is an epidemic of harm associated with it rather than an epidemic of use. So I guess what we're seeing is, is a shift over time, and that's reflective of a change in, in market trends that result in different levels of harm and different services needing to be available, which is part of being responsible and reflexive and you know, responsive to that, those changes as they happen. Dr. Johnsey described a desperate situation in King's Cross before the injection facility opened. It impacted the quality of life not only for persons with addiction, but for the entire community. And, she says, our elected leaders need to understand what a supervised injection facility can mean to their community. SIFs need to be important to governments and governments need to understand their benefits. One, they save money so that any program that prevents cases of hepatitis C and HIV saves an incredible amount of money because a needle costs a few cents and a case of HIV or hepatitis C costs many, many, many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So first and foremost, they save money. They also are generally very popular in the environments where they're put in because they make a difference to the local community. For our local community in King's Cross, who were very used to the scream of ambulance sirens, to walking over bodies, to syringes in the streets, those things don't happen anymore and it's because our service has taken that activity off the streets. That's clearly of benefit to the individual, it's also of benefit to the local community, so in that sense it's a win-win. So there's benefits in terms of the person living in the local neighbourhood, benefits to businesses in the local neighbourhood that they're not dealing with you know, syringes or discarded equipment, and benefits to the individual. So for all of those reasons, there's good reasons why they work, they don't have negative outcomes and they're cost effective. We also spoke about the demographics of the clientele served by the Australian injection facility. 
I guess one of the things I've been, you know, learning today and remembering is that the demographics of drug users the world over aren't that different. Um, we are generally seeing a gradually ageing population, so the proportion of people under the age of 30 has been significantly reducing over the years that we've been open. We've been running now for nearly 15 years. Our average age is in the late 30s. We see a much higher proportion of males, which is reflective of who injects drugs in our community, so about three quarters of the people we see are male. A high proportion of the people we see, especially amongst our frequent attenders, are either in very unstable homes or are street-based homeless. And again, that's very similar if you look at SIFs across you know, Europe and, and the large one that operates in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And the other key factor is the frequency of mental health issues. So we see a very high proportion, especially amongst our frequent attenders, where they have a history of psychosis, where they have a history of significant anxiety and depression. Amongst our most frequent attenders, I think 50% had had a lifetime episode of a suicide attempt, which is massively higher, as you, would, you, know, as you can imagine, compared to the general population. And not only is it under-treated, it's under-diagnosed. So you've got very complex, marginalised people with chronic situations that come from intergenerational cycles of poverty, of disadvantage, of abuse. And a SIF is one small part of, of a comprehensive set of policies and programs that can make a difference. It's never going to be the one thing that makes everything better. Unfortunately, there is no one thing that makes everything better. But I think understanding that a lot of people's trajectories in life, unfortunately, start very early and in the years before we can remember. The more I think we learn about early brain development, the more we understand that those first three years of life are incredibly important. It's the years that we don't remember that actually probably most determine who we are. And I think that as any society, we owe it to all individuals in society to treat everybody with dignity and respect and to give people equal opportunity at having a, a dignified, fulfilling life. As the name implies, these injecting facilities are supervised. Dr. Johnsey remembers her first day watching drug users without medical training holding needles using tourniquets, and as she describes, licking the tip of the fit. So I remember very clearly, and to be honest, most staff in, I would suspect, any supervised injecting facility in the world, um, where you've not been present at injecting before, you can remember your first shift, and I certainly remember my first shift. And it was because for the first time, rather than seeing a healthcare worker holding a needle, I was seeing a person who uses drugs holding the needle, who's had no formal training, and that became very apparent and very clear very early. So for example, one thing that is quite common is for people to put a tourniquet on very, very tightly. And you'll hear people often say, oh no, doc, I know how to do it. It's got to go on tight. I know how to work my veins. Well, of course, a tourniquet needs to go on tight enough to stop the blood coming out of your arm, but not so tight that the blood doesn't get in. So there's, you know, first off, a simple, easy thing that um, you can be present for where in the event that somebody is injecting on that occasion, you can do something small to minimise the risk of damage and harm from that particular event simply by talking to them about actually what is a better way to put on a tourniquet. The other thing that we often see is pe people licking the, the tip of their feet or the tip of the needle before it goes in. I had never 
seen that before. I had no idea that that went on. I didn't think to tell people not to do it because I had no idea they would. And I, I think it's something to do with a, a sense that perhaps it will go in a little bit easier or best of luck and let's get this one in. It'll hit the vein this time. But without knowing, of course, that your mouth is an absolute zoo in terms of the bacteria that live in there, you know, you have to point that out to somebody and that what you're doing is collecting millions of bacteria, putting them straight on the tip of the needle and then putting that straight into the vein. So clearly, again, where somebody is chosen to inject, my job as a healthcare worker is to make sure that that episode happens to the least possible harm and with the least possible risk to that individual. I asked Dr. Johnsey why the supervised injection facility in Australia is a success. It's probably a, a success for different people in different ways and it probably depends on, on who you ask. If you ask the people that come to our service, they would say success. it's a success just because it's there. They would say this place works just because it's open and I get to come. If you talk to family members of people affected by um, intravenous drug use, they would say it's a success because there's never been a drug overdose death at any supervised injecting facility anywhere in the world. If you talk to government, I guess they would say it's a success because it's meeting its stated aims, it's largely staying out of the press and not causing headaches for ministers, and it's you know been received positively both in the media and in the in the general neighbourhood. If you talk to academics, I guess it's a success because it's been clearly shown to save lives, to reduce injury and death associated with overdose. It's reduced ambulance call-outs by 80% to the local neighbourhood. It's making contact with a marginalised group of people who live at the margins of society and making an individual difference to their lives. And I think if you talk to the staff that work at the centre, they would say it's a success largely because we have the privilege of opening our doors and treating every person that walks in with a dignity and respect that unfortunately most of their lives they have not received when they walk into any kind of an institution. And we are run ultimately by a, a church group and I guess if, if I you know, would speak to my colleagues in, the, in, in what's called Uniting Care or the social services arm of the Uniting Church in Australia, they would say it's a success ultimately because it saves people's lives and reminds us that everybody deserves to have a voice. Listen to more of my discussion with Dr. Marianne Johnsey on supervised injection facilities in Part 3. She talks candidly about the opposition that many people have to the concept of injection facilities or syringe programs. Thanks for joining us for What's Happening in Harm Reduction. Share your thoughts with us at info at spawngroup.com.